The shaky aisles, as New Zealand is sometimes known, are also the steaming aisles, the hissing and the bubbling aisles. Where heat from the Earth's core presses its way to the surface, as it does in other places along the Pacific Ocean's so-called rim of fire. The turbulence beneath our feet can incite feelings of wonder at the power of nature and inspiration for artists such as the composer Lyle Criswell, whose piece Dancing on a Volcano was a tribute to it. but it can also invoke a sense of utility, a conviction that the relentless flow of energy from inside the earth could warm our homes and light our offices, not just next year, but for decades and more. The beauty of geothermal is that it is a renewable resource, but also, unlike all other renewables, it operates 24-7 at a constant level, unaffected by wind, rain, sun. Doug Heffernan heads one of two big companies pushing geothermal energy, Mighty River Power. David Baldwin heads Mighty River's big rival, Contact Energy, but his sentiments are the same. Geothermal is a terrific fuel type for New Zealand in the sense that it provides baseload power. Unlike wind, it's not dependent on whether the wind is blowing or, in the case of hydro, that the rain is falling. Geothermal is renewable and it's always there. To anyone driving on State Highway 1 north of Taupo, it must seem surprising that people are having to talk up geothermal energy at all. But the big Wairaki power station, whose pipes traverse the road, is half a century old. The use of geothermal energy in New Zealand started quite literally with a hiss and a roar back then, but development slowed, then stopped for several decades, to be revived only in the past few years. This program looks at the present and the future of a revived and expanded system of geothermal energy for New Zealand. So how much of this energy can be harnessed? The main geothermal area is the wedge of land in the upper central North Island from Mount Ruapehu to the Bay of Plenty coast and beyond. But why is the land there so hot? The professor of geophysics at Victoria University, Tim Stern, says the land there is geologically active because that part of the country is literally, though very slowly, being torn in half by tectonic forces. The crust there is um, under extension and that means it's actually pulling apart at a rate of about 15 millimetres a year at the north end and this decreases um, systematically to about 6 millimetres a year down um, in the vicinity of Lake Taupo. Professor Stern argues that this force is stretching the Earth's crust and making it thinner at this point. But how thin has it become? He's been studying this by various means. The latest involves setting off explosions underground and measuring their seismic echo. His experiments have given an indication as to just how close to the surface the main pool of molten rock is in that area. We did indeed um, get a very strong reflection from a depth of about 30 kilometres from a horizon which is roughly beneath the Taupo-Wairaki area. In a stable continental situation, um, the Earth does not get molten to a depth of about 100 kilometres. So here, if this is correct, that this layer does represent molten rock at about 30 kilometres, is much shallower than normal. 
Tim Stern says other experiments indicate some of that molten rock could come as close as 10 kilometres from the surface of the Earth. Aquifers of boiling water could be closer still. Scientists have also managed to gain a good idea as to how long all this rumbling has been going on for and how much longer it'll last. The heat output of the Taupo volcanic zone is really a long-term process. There's evidence from uh, drill holes in the Wairaki area of um, geothermally altered rock, which is at least half a million years old, and there's more evidence that geothermal systems are even older than that. So we can assume that these geothermal systems have a lifetime of half a million years or perhaps a million years or so. So it's really a long-term process which seems to be associated with the extension of the central North Island. Well, if that's a geological time frame going backwards, is it possible to say how long it'll last? Well, I think in, in, in terms of our lifetime, it's, we can regard it as being um, essentially uh, an infinite resource. It's this virtual permanence that got people excited about geothermal energy in the first place. Fuel doesn't have to be burnt nor replenished. Instead, heat from the Earth's core can be used endlessly at will. But the excitement about all this is not new. New Zealand had an earlier burst of enthusiasm in the 1950s. This is how it was explained to Parliament at the time by the then Prime Minister, Sid Holland. Everyone who has passed through Wairaki during the past two years will have been impressed with the power of the geothermal steam roaring out of the bores that have been put down there. Shortly after the present government took office, it authorised investigations into the possibilities of developing electric power from geothermal steam at Wairaki. New Zealand is indeed fortunate in having these latent subterranean power resources. We're also fortunate in having scientists capable of designing plant and equipment to convert these roaring jets of steam for the benefit of the nation. Over the next decade and a half, New Zealand became a world leader in geothermal energy to the delight of an American expert who ended up heading geothermal projects here. Back then, Greg Rush was a young engineer on the international market. The scientists here in New Zealand, led primarily by the Department of Science and Industrial Research, the DSIR, had a number of scientists that were really developing and pioneering the technology for geothermal development. New Zealand was clearly the world leader at that time. And what happened? What happened, I think, was a rags-to-riches story for New Zealand. New Zealand discovered Maui gas. Following that discovery and commercialization of that resource, all of the emphasis for energy development in New Zealand shifted from geothermal and other renewables to the development of natural gas for both domestic use as well as for power generation. That resulted in a declining interest in geothermal development and a shift in policies at the government level and further geothermal development was discontinued. If the dawn of the Maui gas field caused geothermal energy to tread water for several decades, the field's approaching sunset is propelling it to steam forward again. At the front of the pack here are two big firms, state-owned Mighty River Power and New Zealand's largest energy conglomerate, the listed company Contact Energy. Contact inherited the Wairaki system from the old ECNZ and the plant manager, Murray Stanley, explains the techniques involved in turning heat from underground into electricity. Generally nowadays we are drilling to about two kilometres 
at Wairaki to find the geothermal fluid. That's quite a bit deeper than we needed to go back in the early days when the field was first developed in the 1950s. Once we do get the, the geothermal fluid, it comes up as a mixture of hot water and steam. We can only actually use the steam to drive the generators, so we have to separate the hot water from the steam. We take the mixture of geothermal fluid, that is the steam and the water, and it gets pumped under pressure into a big circular vessel, and that induces a centrifugal spin onto the mixture, and the water being heavier gets thrown out to the side, whereas the steam being lighter tends to stay in the middle of the vessel, it rises to the top and that drives the turbines. And those turbines spin around pretty fast? Yeah, about 3,000 rest per minute. We've got machine sizes of various size here. Uh, our smallest ones is 4 megawatts, our largest one is 30 megawatts. Here on the edge of Kawarau, a new scheme is being developed right now. It's on the site of two small, older geothermal power stations, but it's much bigger. It'll be 90 megawatts. It's being built from Mighty River Power. It'll provide heat to a nearby Kowara pulp mill, electricity also to the national grid. Greg Rash is Mighty River Power's geothermal manager. Kowarao is a 90 megawatt project. The current demand for power on the North Island is about 5,000 megawatts, and it's growing at about 2%. So the Kaurau project will meet the increase in demand on the North Island for one year. The project started construction about three months ago and will be completed in October of 2008. Besides Kaurau and the hope for extension to Waraki, there are other projects under consideration. Back at Contact Energy, these include a project near Mount Tohara on the eastern outskirts of Taupo. The company's chief executive, David Baldwin, explains further. All in all, we're of you know, 250 to 300 megawatts of uh, capacity at Wairake and Ohaki right now. We think we can almost double that over the next five years with about a billion dollars of investment into geothermal. Uh, that runs alongside about a billion dollars we're putting into wind uh, across both north and south islands of the country. And Mighty River Power's geothermal chief, Greg Rush, explains his company's plans, which will eventually take its geothermal capacity to 500 megawatts, around 7% of New Zealand's total electricity capacity. Mighty River currently is operating the Mokai plant. There's currently 94 megawatts installed, and it's being expanded by another 17, so there will be a total of 111 megawatts there by August of this year. And in addition, to get up to 500, where else? <laughs> um, we are currently an operator of a 33-megawatt plant at Rotokawa, and we will be submitting resource consents very soon for a, a much larger plant there, um, probably on the order of 90 or 100 megawatts. In addition to that, we will be starting exploration efforts, uh, actually resource confirmation efforts at Natamariki, which is about 10 kilometers from Rotokawa, some wells were drilled there by the Crown in the 1980s, and we believe that there's a very exciting resource there as well. On the face of it then, geothermal energy would seem to have a golden future, hampered only by delays involved in getting projects built when steel and cement are expensive and skilled workers in short supply. But there's more to it than that. 
Getting permission to build a new geothermal power station can be a major deterrent when just renewing permission to keep an existing one going can get bogged down. Contact Energy's chief executive, David Baldwin, sought a reconsent for the existing Wairaki power station under the Resource Management Act in 2001, and he's still waiting for a verdict. Six or seven years is clearly unacceptable for contact or the government in relation to building new capacities. We need to have those consents for new, new renewables such as geothermal and wind in a year, not six years. Why has it taken six years for Wairaki to be reconsented? What were the problems that caused that sort of delay? Predominantly uh, local politics in- intervening in what was ultimately sort of a national interest issue. Geothermal energy or renewables in general are issues of national significance, particularly in relation to climate change and reliance on imported fuels to that extent. Contact and the country has been affected by that. We've spent six or seven million dollars and I have no doubt that the uh, local councils in Taupo have spent similar amounts of money on these reconsents. That's money that should otherwise be deployed into capacity and not only that, this delay has limited how much geothermal energy the existing facilities could have generated over that period of time by quite a margin. The Topo District Council is reluctant to discuss this matter too much because it's being considered by the Environment Court and a result will be out soon. But the council has in the past alleged subsidence of the ground. It says this is caused by a loss of pressure when underground aquifers are emptied of hot water by geothermal pumping and the ground slumps as a result. Telephoned in his mayoral office, Clayton Stent wouldn't discuss matters which he says are before the court but he did make this comment. We acknowledge that the Taupo district has an energy resource which is not common throughout New Zealand, and geothermal energy production is a very efficient and appears to be a sustainable means of energy generation. We certainly welcome any investment within the district uh, in terms of energy generation, but do expect any generator to apply best international practice and just best practice full stop. Uh, in terms of any developments that they may propose. Environment Waikato, the local regional council, has given approval for Wairaki to continue operating for another two decades. But that decision was challenged by Topo District Council, which took it to the Environment Court. One problem local authorities appear to have in approving geothermal projects is that the subject just isn't well enough understood. Blair Dickey runs policy and strategy at Environment Waikato and says in considering an application, council officers are sometimes working in the dark. There is only a limited amount of understanding of the geothermal resource in the first instance. You can't tell that much from the surface features and everything else is pretty much inferred by geology and models. It's not until you actually drill a hole and find out what's there and more particularly uh, it's not until you start extracting some of the resource do you find out the capacity of the system. And in that respect the recent Environment Waikato policy recognises this and we have a policy and a preference for stage development and this allows an understanding of the system to be developed through adaptive management over time. Blair Dickey says a solution to the subsidence problem has been adopted at Wairaki and is standard elsewhere. Used geothermal water is pumped back underground to re-establish water pressure and make subsidence less likely. The process is explained by Wairaki's manager Murray Stanley. About 40 or 50% of it is re-injected. At the moment, the balance 
either goes as evaporation or as discharge to the Waikato River. But as time goes by, we will be injecting more and more of our separated geothermal fluid back underground. It's just something we need to take care with because that water is cooler. We just have to make sure that we choose our areas of reinjection very carefully because what we don't want to do is direct that cold water back into a part of the field where it will quench some of the hot productive zones under the ground. Contact Energy also questions the level of subsidence that is said to have occurred. It's carried out tests on two houses which Topol Council says were badly affected and says it found no problems. Regarding the Kowarau development, Mighty River Power's chief executive, Doug Heffernan, insists subsidence is no issue at all. We've dealt with that as we've gone through a consenting process at Kowarau and you know, you've got industrial companies with you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of investment sitting on top of the geothermal field and they've got to a point of comfort about uh, further development on that field and the way in which we're going to manage subsidence. Um, you have to remember that you know, we're looking at putting a quarter of a billion dollars worth of investment on top of the resource. We want to make sure the resource is managed in a sustainable way as much if not more than anyone else. On the question of subsidence, the energy companies get some support from the Geothermal Energy Association, whose scientific head suggests home bores may bear some of the blame for the subsidence that has happened. Blair Dickey also raises the point that local councils have a responsibility to make sure that urban sprawl doesn't extend into areas where problems like this are likely to occur. There's another environmental issue that affects Wairaki, though not other newer power stations discharge of metals from underground into the Waikato River. Colin Harvey is a scientist who's also president of the Geothermal Energy Association. When you remove the steam from a geothermal fluid at say 300 degrees centigrade, you might generate um, 50% of waste fluids in which the concentrations of chemicals and metals is elevated because of the removal of the steam. What metals are you talking about? There are elevated levels of mercury, of arsenic. They're probably the two common metals which are of concern. Blair Dickey at Environment Waikato says this issue has also crossed his desk, though the extent of the problem appears to be unknown. We do know from the Wairake discharge that there are elevated levels of arsenic in the sediments of some of the dams associated with the Waikato hydro system that are elevated above what could normally be expected from natural discharge from the geothermal areas. What effect would that have on, say, fish life or people who go angling or anything like that? To my knowledge, there's not a lot of work has been done on the specifics of those lakes, but it would involve any food items of fish life that burrow or ingest sediments and take nourishment from that. Right, so it could enter the food chain, but no one knows by how much or how severely. I guess that's what you're saying, is it right? I'm not aware of any studies of those specific lakes. The Ministry of Health says arsenic is found naturally in drinking water in all areas affected by geothermal activity. The Ministry says there's close monitoring of arsenic levels, and in the Topor Waikato area, these are currently at about half the maximum level deemed allowable under Ministry standards. But if geothermal energy gets a black mark on the heavy metal question, it gets ticks and commendations on other sections of the environmental scorecard. It's renewable, it has limited impact for its size on the surface of the land, 
And while some gases escape from underground, along with the steam, the problem here is minor. Colin Harvey of the Geothermal Energy Association. In terms of the Kyoto Accord, geothermal energy is much more Kyoto-friendly because of its very low levels of discharges of greenhouse gases in the emissions. Scientists say geothermal plants produce a third of the greenhouse gas emissions that a combined cycle gas-fired power plant does. Most of it, he says, is CO2, and limited though that is, experiments are underway to try to lower net emissions still further. He cites an example at the Mokai power station where CO2 would be captured and used to make vegetables grow bigger. They're currently utilising bottled CO2 to raise the partial pressure of carbon dioxide in the greenhouses to get enhanced growth. We're currently working with them to look at purifying carbon dioxide that comes from the adjacent power station and utilise that rather than the the bottled CO2. So eventually you could get um, better quality, more productive capsicums or tomatoes or whatever from the CO2 that otherwise would be an emission which we'd have to account for. Yes, that's correct. It's a great concept. One reason for the growth and interest in geothermal energy is the sheer potency of the North Island's volcanic field. Professor Tim Stern from Victoria University. From a global perspective, this is a very hot area. Um, There are other parts of the globe where um, the continents have also under extension, for example, in East Africa, the very famous East African rift system. But the heat output there seems to be almost an order of magnitude lower. We've done a study to look at other parts of the world, and the only other area of the world where we can see a comparative example is actually Iceland. So it seems to us that the system under the Taupo area is really a continental equivalent of of the Iceland system. Iceland gets most of its energy from geothermal, but only has a population of 300,000 people. Colin Harvey of the Geothermal Energy Association says many other countries generate geothermal electricity, but because they have far more people to serve, the percentage of geothermal energy in each country is less. In total, he says, the quantity of geothermal energy used globally is about twice New Zealand's total supply of electricity from all sources. There are developments now in about 20 countries internationally with close to 12,000 megawatts of installed capacity. Leading that is is the United States with Japan and Philippines, um, other major players. New Zealand is is in just in the top 10, but we're currently generating about close to 500 megawatts of electricity, which is about 7% of, of New Zealand's requirements. Now, you believe we could go a lot further, I think. Is that right? That's correct. There's possibly 20 active geothermal systems in the Taupo volcanic zone and also there's one resource in Northland. The potential generating capacity could be as high as 2,000 megawatts. And with new advances, there's potential possibly to raise that even higher. Even moving it from 2,000 up to 3,000 megawatts is possible. 3,000 megawatts is around 40% of New Zealand's capacity, or to put it another way, would meet 20 years of growth in New Zealand's electricity consumption. The idea of even going some of the way towards this goal is one that excites Professor Stern at Victoria University. New Zealand has has a very proud history of developments of geothermal energy and it's sold its technology around the world. And in the present climate of concern about climate change and uh, renewable energy sources, this geothermal power in New Zealand is surely the one beacon of hope we have. 
This is a very large and extensive resource, and we're one of the few countries in the world with an impressive resource like this. One of the big issues facing geothermal energy is cost. Colin Harvey of the Geothermal Energy Association quotes official figures showing power from this source would be affordable. The Minister of Economic Development has recently done a survey and indicates that the current cost of geothermal is somewhere between 2 and 3 cents per kilowatt hour. If you take combined cycle gas turbine, for example, um, you're looking at somewhere between 7 and 8 cents per kilowatt hour. They're also predicting that the future costs of generation will be nowhere near as cheap, but they'll still remain at between 6 and 7 cents per kilowatt hour. So it's foreseeable that a large component of geothermal in our energy mix could remain cost competitive against a combined cycle gas turbine, for example, for very many years to come. New Zealand's energy options have for years been hemmed in by pork barrel politics, complex legal and bureaucratic processes and environmental disputes that provoke high emotion. Add to this more down-to-earth problems like uncertain supplies of natural gas. Into the breach have come wind farms, popular with politicians and some generating companies, but failing to provide constancy, simply not generating electricity when the wind doesn't blow. Geothermal managers say their product generates all the time, not intermittently. One of them, Doug Heffernan of Mighty River Power, goes further, suggesting New Zealand's infatuation with wind is based on a taste for foreign ideas, not homegrown solutions. New Zealanders don't appreciate what they've got and too often look for overseas solutions to their challenges. I think that's one of the reasons why geothermal's been off the radar screen for at least a decade. Most discussion around the country about future generation sources has been about wind or things like that. Now, they are solutions that the Europeans are doing. We're fortunate enough, like Iceland, to have a lot of geothermal resource. It's only now that we're waking up to the fact that, that resource is now available, price competitive, and able to be developed to provide a security supply that things like wind can't do. For years, New Zealand's geothermal assets have not been so much a practical resource as a lure for tourists. Is there anything you want to do and see while you're in New Zealand? I want to see this stuff steam out of the ground. Rotorua. Will you get up there? I don't know. We'll try. In the end, John Lennon did not get to Rotorua, though thousands of others did and brought the city its prosperity. But tourism is just part of the story. Doug Heffernan says many other countries would love to have the geothermal energy riches that New Zealand has in abundance. Around the world, in Europe, they're trying to develop geothermal. But they haven't got a resource anywhere near as good as ours. Same in Australia. They're trying to drill kilometres into the earth to try and find something that might give them geothermal. We've got it there sitting to be tapped. You know, usually we talk about Australia being the lucky country. In geothermal, we are the lucky country.